This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all our Torah Anytime viewers. We are beginning today the story of Yonah. Yonah, this is a story that we read on the Haftarah, on Mincha, on Yom Kippurim, on Yom Kippur. So there is many, many interesting facts to the story that we have to try to understand to see why do we read this out of all the other things on Yom Kippur. And not only it's on Yom Kippur, it's like right before the biggest, the heaviest time of the day. And that's right before Neira. So to bring into the, you know, the, the time frame of when this story took place. So it, it happened during the time of the first Beth Amikdash. And um, this, you know what, I could even tell you, so this is the story of Yonah. Yonah was a prophet. Uh, we'll go from, and to tell you around how far, since Moshe Rabbeinu, I'll go in order of how many, uh, from teacher to student, teacher to student, from going from Moshe. So you have Moshe, was a teacher, taught Pinchas, who taught, so we're up to generation two, who taught Eli, who taught Shmuel, who taught Achia Shiloni, who taught Eliyahu, who taught Elisha, who taught Yonah. So we're talking about eight from like eight, I don't know if you'll call it generations, Yonah actually also learned from Eliyahu as well. So you're talking about that time frame since, the, since Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, Shlomo HaMelech had a very, very large uh, kingdom. In fact, he spread it out through the entire world. It was a very prosperous time for the Jewish people. That large kingdom did not last. Uh, uh, his son, Rehavam, uh, he, um, you know, he, he ruled after Shlomo Melech, and it didn't go well. This is where the kingdom split. It turned into there was a there was a kingdom of Yehuda, which is the south. This is the part of of Israel which was part of uh, ruled by the house of David, and it was where the temple was, Yerushalayim, that area. Then you had the. The, the kingdom of Israel, which is the north, the opposite side, and this was just whoever, it, it was no like only the Davidic kingdom, it was whoever, you know, ruled it. This, uh, later, this northern kingdom is where the ten tribes, uh, you know, lived, and this is later where they got exiled from by Sanchev, which we'll probably speak about in next class. So, the, uh, when this split happened, this was in the time of Rechavam. So Rechavam went and, uh, he, you know, increased on taxes on the Jewish people. He increased the, um, the, you know, the burdens that they had. And they didn't like it. So they tried to get the taxes, you know, go down. Nothing doing. And they ended up revolting. They ended up revolting and they went and they appointed Yerovam, um, which was from the tribe of Ephraim to rule over them. Now, Yeravam, he didn't really like the whole idea of the Jews making pilgrimage to, for the Shalosh Galim going up to Jerusalem. Why? Because in the Bet HaMikdash, you can't, only a king basically could sit, only a Davidic king, per se, cannot, can only sit in the time, in the, uh, you know, in the temple courtyard. So he didn't, you know, he felt that this would be if they end up going to the temple, if they would end up going to the Bet HaMikdash. Seeing, he's, he could see that, you know, obviously he's not sitting where, where the king sits, so he's gonna take it as an affront to his rulership, and hence he forbidden people from going and doing, uh, making pilgrimage, making Ariyal Regal for the Shalosh Galim. Being that that's already not bad enough, what he did was he ended up putting um, idols. He put golden calves by the entrances so that people are not allowed, would not be able to go out. And then he instituted new uh, holidays so that people should try to just like forget about the Beit Hamikdash. You know, don't deal with that. Let's focus on this right now. 
the rulers, as you can see, of the ten tribes, we'll call them the ten tribes, or this is really what the northern kingdom, they, uh, you know, were not, many of them were very, very wicked people. And, uh, you know, for example, King Ahav and his wife Isabel, she uh, went and they instituted a idol worship of Baal. And this is also, during this time, was more or less is where the story of Onyona takes, takes place. That's not to say that the entire northern kingdom were idol worshippers and they were sinners. In fact, the majority of them kept the Torah mitzvot, and they had many prophets in the northern kingdom side. They had Eliyahu, they had Elisha, they had Oshea, they had Amos, they had Yonah. But even with all that, the people were sort of beyond salvation. And I think it was roughly about 250 years that then they were, you know, after Hashem tried to get them to repent, send them, uh, you know, send them a bunch of prophets. That didn't work. And the end, uh, Sanchev came in, the Assyrian king- kingdom came in and, the, you know, took over the entire northern kingdom. And uh, send them to exile, and this is where we have today, as you know, the famous you know ten lost tribes. So it happened in this in this part of time, and this, so it was a sort of a splitting of the kingdom. Okay, so uh, as we said, you know, there were you know a lot of bad things happening spiritually. So Akedus uh, Baruch went and God sent uh, a bunch of prophets. One of the prophets that he sent was Eliyahu Anavi. So Eliyahu Anavi went and he sent them with a warning. You know, go warn the people, tell them to repent. Eliyahu went, he warned the people, he warned the king, he warned, he warned the royal house. No one was listening to him. No one was interested, no one was listening. So the... Um, eventually Eliyahu went and he cursed the kingdom that the rain would stop. And because of that, the rain stopped. A famine came in, and uh, you know this lasted for one year, and then it was going on the second year. And God said, "Okay, you know what? Enough of the famine. I want to get rid of the famine." The problem is, Eliyahu put the curse so that the famine should be. So God didn't want to go around the you know the tzaddik who said you know the the prophet who cursed it. So he had to make a way that he would be able to retrieve the curse. So what happened was is that. Eliyahu received another mission that he has to go, and this is what he did. He would go from place to place and get people to do tshuva, get people to repent. So he had to go to a place called Tzalfas. Tzalfas, this was in the territory of Zivulun. And while he was there, he, you know, like anybody when you're traveling, you need a place to stay. And there wasn't, you can't go just check into the local Hilton or the local Sheraton. You go and ask, find people to find a place, if you can find an inn. At this particular place, there was one woman who used to rent a few rooms. This woman was a widow. Her husband came from the, you know, from the tribe of Zivulun, and his, the wife was, came from the tribe of Ashel. Uh, the, actually, the husband was a very, very righteous man. He was a prophet in himself. They were blessed with a young boy, but when the boy was still young, the father passed away. So this widow was there and she would make money by renting out rooms. She went and, uh, you know, they directed her to Eli- uh, Eliyahu to her. Eliyahu goes up and says, listen, I need a room, I need a place to stay, I need some food. She took one look at him and she's like, you know, she could tell, like, this is a righteous guy. This is something, you know, different about this guy. You know, sometimes you walk in the street, uh, generally not in New York, but or America. But you walk in Israel, for example. There, when you see someone, like, really holy, like you see Reb Chaim Kanievsky, you see Reb Arnold Steinman, you see, like, the holiest of the holiest people that are alive today, they look different. Like, you could tell, like, okay, there's something different about them. There's not for reason that people just put pictures of holy people in their houses for, you know, just because, why not? It's fun. There's, there's like an aura of holiness that emanates. So she, he comes in, and she sort of senses that. There's like something different about this guy. So it's like, you know, this guy is, is a holy guy. So she said, fine, you could come stay, but she refused to take any money from him. And it was a famine, so she didn't have a lot of food, or she didn't have a lot of water, she didn't have a lot of, you know, uh, um, to sustain herself. But she willingly shared everything with her. Eliyahu stayed there for a year. And the entire time she gave him food, she gave him place. And miraculously, she always had food. Like her, her bread bin, the oil pitcher, always remained and always, uh, it always was, was, was something inside it. Then one time, one day, the, her son, her only son, became deathly ill. 
and he became sicker and sicker, and eventually, as his condition worsened, you know, she saw like it wasn't going to be that much longer, and he closed his, you know, his eyes, and he didn't open it uh, again, and she kept on trying to revive him, she kept on trying to like, you know, whatever that she could do to revive him, and nothing was doing, he, you know, passed on to the next world. So she was wondering, she's like, how is this possible? She says, after all I did for my holy guest, I'm doing everything for God. Now my son, my only son, is going to be taken away. She grabs the boy, she runs over to, to the, to Eliyahu next, you know, in one of the rooms, and says, please, you know, holy man, please help me with this, uh, with my child. So, Eliyahu felt so much mercy for this, uh, you know, compassion for this child. I mean, this is the woman that, that basically hosted him for a year. She, he felt like he had to do something. She says, give me the child. He puts the child down, and he starts praying to God. And he says, God, I know this child has passed already. And he says, but you have the key for Triyat You have the key for resurrection of the dead. He says, please give me the key so I could resurrect this child for all this woman has done for me. So God answered back to him and says, listen. He says, you know, there's three keys. There's a key for rain, there's a key for childbirth, and there's a key for resurrection. He says, you already have the key for rain. Remember, because you cursed it. He says, if I now give you the key for resurrection, you're going to have two keys and I'm only going to have one key. And that's not, that's improper. That's not appropriate. So, so Eliyahu says, I don't know what, what to tell you. He says, I need to have this boy alive. I need to, I, we need to bring him back. So God says, okay, fine. Return to me the key of rain and I'll give you the key of resurrection. So Eliyahu said, fine. He says, but you know, now the famine is going to end. He says, so be it. So God says, fine. They made the trade. Uh, it wasn't like a physical trade, but he, you know, he actually, you know, it's like, his, his my golden key of resurrection is right here, and give me the key for that, and you hang it up really down tightly with the keychain so it'll zip right back in. You know, it was obviously talking about a spiritual key, and he goes and he gives him the key for resurrection, and he go after, after Eliyahu finishes this prayer, he goes and he tries to revive the boy, he tries to breathe life into him. He tries once, nothing doing. He tried twice, nothing doing. He tried the third time, and the boy came back to life. This boy, you know, his name was Yonah. And he's the name, this is the boy, the prophet that we're going to be speaking about over here. He was known as Yonah ben Amitai. So, the, uh, he, be, he was an extremely, extremely righteous person. He was, uh, um, he had such a good heart that he always wanted, he would support Torah scholars. He would give generously to the poor. He would do anything for the Jewish people. He had such a love for the Jewish people. So, you know, this would make Yonah uniquely qualified and suited for this mission to Ninveh, which we're going to soon discuss. The, um, you know, cause, cause if you think about it, the, the story is, uh, I'll give you just a brief overview cause to, to understand it. Nineveh was a non-Jewish city. It was a non-Jewish city by the Assyrian, which, uh, of the tribe of, the, not the tribe, the kingdom of Ashul. So, he was going to go, Yonah was gonna go and he was gonna, um, tell them to repent and bring them back to Chuvah. So it says, who is better for repentance? Cause what, what is the highest level act of compassion that you could possibly do? The biggest level is to bring somebody, help somebody spiritually. You help someone physically, that's very nice. That's great. And that's a big, a big merit and a big school. But if you help someone spiritually, if you spiritually save somebody from spiritual death, there's like, there's no th- end of thinking. Cause for one thing, if you save him physically, fine, that's a certain amount of time. You know, that's gonna eventually go away. He's 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years he's gonna be over here. But spiritual is eternal. So if you save somebody, it's either saving somebody for 70 years, 80 years, or saving someone for eternity. So it's obviously the, the highest level of compassion is not only saving somebody, but saving somebody for the spiritual side. So over here, such a righteous person, the perfect level, the perfect person who would, who would always compassionate about others will be a perfect thing to stand to do tshuva for the uh, for the non-Jewish nation. And it also says about him, he didn't die. He went straight to Gan Eden, just like Eliyahu. Yonah and Eliyahu went straight to uh, straight to Gan Eden. It also the midrash also says 
The Midrash in Kohelet Rabbah says that, uh, you know, when Mashiach comes and there's going to be the Leviathan, which he's, he's going to make a cameo appearance in this story, the Leviathan. So, uh, you know, he goes and Yonah is going to be the one who's going to shecht, is going to get the Leviathan and he's going to feed it to the righteous people. It's going to be Yonah who's going to be the one who's going to be doing that. So, Yonah, um, you know, uh, he had another prophecy previously, and that prophecy was for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was sinning, and they went, and he went, and prophesied that you have to do tshuva, or if you don't do tshuva, you are going to go, and you are going to get uh, destroyed. And people listened, some people did tshuva, some people didn't do tshuva, but apparently it was good enough for heaven that the city wasn't destroyed. The problem was now that the rebellious people that didn't, didn't do Chuba, they started saying like, okay, Yonah, he says, you're obviously a false prophet. Because you see, we didn't do Chuba, we're still around over here. So they started calling him a, a false prophet. Even though the, the Chachamim, they reaffirmed that Yonah was a righteous prophet. And in fact, if you realize his name is Yonah ben Amitai, Amitai comes from the word Amet, truth. Yonah, the son of truth. Um, but his prophecy was true. Well, rather, what was the problem over here? The problem was, is that these people, they didn't believe in the power of Chuba. And this is very unfortunate nowadays. People don't believe in that. It's like, it's not possible. How could I say I'm sorry? And everything goes away. It just doesn't make sense. We'll speak about it more in Bezalt uh, in the next class. But, you know, think about it. If you put your hand in fire, it's going to burn. By saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, fire, it's not going to take anything away. So it's like they... They didn't believe in the in the idea of repentance, and hence they were like, okay, even though you said that the the you know the place was supposed to be destroyed, but it didn't be destroyed because people did chuvah. But does chuvah really work? So the um, you know that's what he got a little bit of a bad name over there, which is going to come into uh, into the story a little bit later. But by far his most famous mission is the mission of this one, Ninveh. Uh, Ninveh. And this uh, Ninveh is in the fifth book of the Chayasah, this is the twelfth minor prophets. The question is, is that, why is this book so important? Why is this book even included in the prophets? This book speaks about completely for the non-Jewish people. It speaks about that they sinned, they were supposed to be Chuba, and then they got saved for a certain amount of time, we'll see. So why are we, forget about the part, the fact that it's already in the Tanakh. Okay, let's, let's leave that for a second. Why are we reading it on the holiest day of the year? Can, can we find the story of maybe, you know, the Jewish people doing tshuva? Like, isn't that the focus? Or, the focus of Yom Kippur is for the Jewish people. The, the non-Jewish people, of course, they should do tshuva, they should repent, and they should do everything. But we're dealing here with the Jewish nation, so why are we reading something that is not associated, not affected with us? So, the... Um, there's a few lessons that we learned from this. I'll give you go through a few lessons now. Start with the story, and then uh, when we finish next week, we'll also go with a with a with a bunch more lessons that you can learn from this from this story. The uh, throughout the story, you'll see that Yonah he suffered greatly. Why did he suffer greatly? Because he did not he avoided to fulfill his mission. He had a mission, and he didn't he avoided to fulfill it. Because he avoided the mission, he suffered greatly. This is a lesson that we needed to learn. The mission is going to be fulfilled. Like what God will will happen. Whatever God wants to happen will happen. Whether you want to be part of it or not, it's, that's your problem. But it will happen. You can't. Some people like try to do tricks and try to get around with it. There's no getting around it. The Chavetz Chaim also explains that, based on the thing that we we're speaking about earlier about people not believing for Chuba, he says that you know that that you know why people fail to repent because they don't believe they can repent, and that is such a sad thing. When people don't believe that they can repent, that is like just just you know waiting yourself. Like you're dying slowly spiritually. There's nothing. Just leave yourself with the rats. The next lesson that we learn from it is we'll see how Shem's passion and compassion that he has towards the, Jew, the non-Jews. And if he has so much mercy towards the non-Jews and he's waiting for them to repent and then he accepts their repentance, then all the more so the Jewish nation, the chosen nation, when God, when they go and they repent, of course God is going to go and accept them. Also, 
we're going to learn about the, the reward and punishment. This is a fundamental aspect of Judaism. People think that it's a Christian thing. People think that it's something like, why we always got to speak about the punishment? Let's only focus about the good. The fundamentals of Torah is you got to believe in reward and punishment. And here we see reward and punishment. Someone did bad, someone's going to get punished. Someone did good, someone's going to get rewarded. That is another lesson. The, the final thing that we're going to learn um, is also going to be how, how Ninveh, even though they did Chuba, it didn't last. It lasted for about 40 years, and they reverted back to their old ways, and then they got completely destroyed. So, Chuba has to last. This is another thing that we have to learn. Okay, so let's begin with the, with the actual story. That was an introduction. So, the story begins actually in the time of Sukkot. And uh, Yonah was making, he made Aliyat uh, Laraigal, he made pilgrimage. Pig, let's just move on. Huh? Pilgrimage. So, um, to the... To, to the Bet HaMikdash. And if you think about it, this must have been very difficult, because remember, he came from the northern kingdom, from the ten tribes. So, and there was blockades, they didn't want people. So obviously he had to, he, you know, he worked hard, he was Mosul Nefesh to go and, uh, to, uh, to Yerushalayim for the, um, for the Chag, for the Chag of Sukkot. And he gets over there, and Sukkot, you know, if you, if you ever just, I don't know if you guys ever been to Israel, but if you go to Israel in any holiday, it's like almost, it's like so, it's like, it's like you could feel it in the air, especially in Yerushalayim, especially on Sukkot. Because you have like people's like, t- there's like tables, like everybody who's everybody is selling and it's all gonna love the same, everybody's like little kids, they still have their pacifiers, they got the coke in their bottles, right, you know how the Israelis do it, or a shako on the other hand, in the other hand in a bag, and they're going and they're just like, you know, they're wheeling and dealing and they're selling these little, you know, the, either the posters or thing, everyone's doing it. You go to Al Israel, it's really like you feel Sukkot, it's like there's, there's no holiday like in Israel like Sukkot, I feel like, you really like, you feel it, it's like so awesome. So, Yonah is walking through the streets and he sees like, you know, it's hustling, bustling and the kids are playing and, you know, you get, you get in the mood, you get, in, you get in the, into the motion. And, you know, it's man simchatenu, it's a time of our happiness. And we know that prophecy only happens when you're happy. So, he, as, as he's in a state of happiness, all of a sudden, he gets a message. He gets an incoming message from God and, uh, you know, Yonah, he goes to, to Yonah, God goes to Yonah and says, Yonah, I want you to quickly go to Ninveh. So, Yonah goes back, uh, Ninveh? He says, you mean the capital of Asho, of Assyria? He's, uh, so God says, yeah, yeah, I want you to go there. They're, they're doing way too many sins. They're, they're way too over, over their head. You have got to, you know, they're stealing. They're going through Abu Dazarah. They're doing immoral acts. You know, the, there's always a certain amount of level till where the level is full. Once the level is full, that's when punishment is meted out. He says, you have to go to them and tell them that they have to repent immediately or they will suffer the consequences. Siona was, was confused. He's like, he's like, God, I understand. He says, I'm a Jewish, you know, I'm a Jewish prophet. He says, what am I going to a non-Jewish nation to go and rebuke them? He says, what help does this have to do to my Jewish nation, to, to my nation? So God says, no, 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 it will help your nation. He says, because if you succeed and they do tshuva, this non-Jewish nation of Ninveh, if they do tshuva, then the Jewish people will learn. He says, the Jewish people, they have prophets after prophets going to them, do tshuva, do tshuva, do tshuva, and they're not listening. But all of a sudden, one prophet goes to the non-Jewish nation and they listen. Then, of course, the Jewish people are going to listen and they're going to bring them back to, uh, to tshuva, to repentance. He says, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Yonah was still, you know, shocked. He says, you know, generally, the non-Jews are not held as a high regard as the Jewish people. I mean, just look at the numbers. We have 613 commandments, they have 7 commandments. So there's a difference, obviously, in, in, you know, observance and the, and the level of observance. So he says, why all of a sudden, you know, there are many non-Jews that are doing sins. Like, why Ninveh is, is so, is so, uh, you know, singled out out of everybody? He, so God responded. He says, there's one thing that singles out a nation for retribution immediately, or like, there's, that th- this is the end of the line, and that is, you know what robbery when you steal and all the people are crying out to God that this person stealing from this person this person stealing from that person there's there's just like Sodom 
What happened by Saddam? It was because of Hamas, because of the robbery. So they got the flood. The flood was because of Hamas, I'm sorry. Uh, Saddam was also, but, but I'm saying that in regards to the word Hamas was referring to uh, the flood. We have robbery seals the fate. That's done. It says there, there's, there, there's so many victims that are screaming out to me, it's the, you know, this is the end zone. That's it. This is either you make it or break it right over here. You're either gonna change or I'm gonna change you. So, Yonah responded back. He says, I don't understand. He says, you just compared it to Saddam to the flood. He says, Saddam, they didn't have a chance to repent. They just got destroyed. He says, why does this nation, Ninveh, why do they have a chance to repent? Destroy them like Saddam. So God responded. He says, no, there was, um, the person that started Ninveh. Uh, so you go, you, you guys are familiar with the story of, uh, the Doaf Lagad. Doaf Lagad was a power of, uh, of, uh, Babylon where they tried to fight against God. So King Nimrod over there, when he challenged God, there was a certain person by the name of Ashul. And he broke away. He says, I want nothing to do with this. He broke away and he went and he uh, created the city of Ninveh. And that's what his name is, Ashur, which is, uh, you know, the Assyrian Empire. He broke away. He says, for that merit, that he didn't stay away from it, they have a chance to do tshuva. And additional, there's another another reason. He says, if the if the ten tribes continue doing what they're doing and continue sinning, he says, eventually this, this uh, nation, Assyria, is going to go and is going to exile these ten tribes. And they have to be worthy to be able to exile the ten tribes. Can't just, you know, not any Joshmo. So it says that for those two reasons, I need to go, I need to get them to do repentance. And that was it. That was prophecy ended, right? God, click. That's it. The conversation was finished. So Yonah finished, you know, with the prophecy. He was, he was very, very disturbed by this. Why was he disturbed? He says, because this puts the Jewish nation in mortal danger. Because let's say he goes to the, to the non-Jewish nation and invade. And let's say they do tshuva. What happens if now the Jews are not going to do tshuva? You know what they, you know what that does for the Jewish nation? It's going to put them in so much danger. It says, oh, the Satan's going to go here. The non-Jews are going to do tshuva. One prophet, they do tshuva. The Jews, prophet, prophecy, 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 prophecy. No tshuva. That's going to be very bad. He says, furthermore, he says, why do I want to make them worthy to be able to exile my ten tribes? So this is my nation. He says, if anything, I don't want them to do tshuva. So this way they won't be worthy to exile the ten tribes. So he wasn't sure what to do. He says, should I not listen to God? I mean, it's a prophecy. How do you not listen to a prophecy? So he said, maybe if I go, and he started, you know, he's contemplating on what he should do. Maybe if I go, and I'll tell Nineveh to repent. Are they going to really, really listen to me? I'm a regular Jewish guy. What do they know me from a hole in the wall? He says, they're probably not going to listen to me. He's probably going to laugh at me. He says, oh, this Jewish prophet. Yeah, yeah, sure. Keep on going. Or he says, better yet, maybe they'll even kill me. He says, uh, but then he, then he realized, as he thought about it, he says, no, no, this is like wishful thinking. It's not going to happen. He says, the Jew, non-Jewish people are more likely to repent than Jewish people. We know the Jewish people are known as Amksheoleth. We're stiff-necked people. We're very stubborn. I, I, it works for the good. It works for the bad also. It's not a great quality trait, depending on where you use it. It can be stubborn for God. That's good. But in general, we have a quality uh, trait of, of Amksheoleth, a stubborn people. So he says, for the non-Jews, if I go, very likely they're going to repent. And then it's going to look bad for the Jews. And if the Jews are not going to repent, this is going to spell a disaster for the Jewish uh, people. So he's decided, he says, you know, I better not, uh, um, you know, I have to figure something out. So now he's thinking, he says, to suppress a prophecy is a very sin. It can be, uh, you know, um, risking, you know, death for this, for this thing. So Yonah began rationalizing. And he started thinking. He says, is this really a prophecy? You know how we do it when we ever rationalize. So is it really a prophecy? Because a prophecy is, you have the prophecy, what you have to do, and if you don't do it, there's a consequences, whatever the consequence is going to be. The problem was, says Yonah, says over here, no, quant- no consequences was ever meted out. God never said, and this is going to happen. God said, go to them and tell them to repent. So the prophecy is not really finished. So maybe this is more like a Musa, like I just give them a rebuke. So maybe if I don't listen to God for this, it's not really counted as I'm not listening to a prophecy. So and then he goes and he, and he thinks about it further. He says, I already have a name that people call me a false prophet from the time of Yerushalayim. If I'm going to come out over here and I'm going to tell the non-Jewish nation, go and repent, and they don't repent, 
What's going to, I mean, let's say they do repent, I'm sorry, and then they go and God doesn't destroy the city. So what's going to be? It's like this guy's like, confirmed the false prophet. And he didn't care for himself. You know, well, Sunsi was a very humble person. He didn't care for himself, but he says, I'm representing God. He said, if I'm representing God, and I'm representing, and all of a sudden all my prophecies are not coming into fruition, then it's going to be a big chilul Hashem. So, Yonah was thinking, and he decided what he's going to do is run away. If he runs away, he'll try to get out of Israel, Eretz Yisrael. If he gets out of Eretz Yisrael, there's a difference of opinions on how prophecy works. Does prophecy work only in Eretz Yisrael? Does the first prophecy have to be in Eretz Yisrael? Because we know the, the source of the prophecy is where the Olen HaKodesh, the, 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 in the Holy of Holies, that's where the, the holiest part is, and, and that stems where, where all the, I guess, holiness comes from. So, is it that you have to be near the whole, the, 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 the you know, the Betamidash to get a prophecy initially, and then you can go out everywhere else in Eretz and get a prophecy? And, and there's different opinions of it, but he figured, he says, if I run away, he says, maybe I won't get a prophecy anymore, and hence the prophecy won't be completed. And if the prophecy won't be completed, so I'm not really avoiding God's decree, or, you know, God's prophecy yet, because it wasn't completed yet. So, he decided where he's gonna go, first step is gonna, he's gonna run, he's gonna go on the sea. Why to go on the sea? Because sea is not really so conducive for prophecy. Because, first of all, you have a lot of idol worshippers on the sea. Now that they all worship the gods of the sea. This is before, you know, Christians came out and Islam came out. You're talking about way before this. So they, it was all pagan religion. So they did Abu Dazarat, whatever Abu Dazarat did. He says, if I'm gonna be in a ship, a close, you know, small place with a bunch of idol worshippers, God's not gonna come to me and speak to me in that, in that impure place. Furthermore, the sh- the, you know, back at, when you go in the ocean, now people go in the ocean as a cruise. It's nice. You know, you go on this, this boat the size of a city, and these layers that you can literally don't feel like you're on a boat, and you enjoy it over there. Back then, it was very, it was very difficult to go on a, on a thing. It was made out of, you know, these boats out of wood, and there were just sails. You were just basically hoping for the wind, and they had some rows, you know, but, but it was a very, very dangerous and a difficult journey. It says, if I'm going to be on this difficult journey, I'm going to be very, you know, nervous all the time. I'm not going to be able to have that simcha, the joy. And then I'm not going to be able to, to merit prophecy. And hence, I'll be also saved uh, that way. So, the Yonah decided what he's going to do. There was a, there was a, he had a choice over here. Either to follow the father, which is God, or to follow the child, which is the Jewish people, and save them. Either listen to that, or he decided he's going to listen to, he's going to try to save the, the child, which is the Jewish uh, nation, um, which unfortunately was a, a very, very big mistake. And in fact, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky says that Yonah actually thought this was a test. What was the test? The test was, will he give up everything for the Jewish nation? Like God wanted to see how much he loved the Jewish nation. Is he willing to forego everything, to risk everything, even untimely death, to save the Jewish nation? So in his mind, he was doing the right thing. So, he goes and he decides now, now he has to pick a destination. He can't just go into the, into the port and be like, I want to go on the boat, which boat do you want to go on? So he decided he's going to go to a place called Tarshish. Tarshish in the, I guess, modern day maps, it's like near Tunisia or near um, Algeria. It's like the opposite of like, you know, I guess Italy and the, on the other side of it. So the more the, the Muslim side, again, I guess we could say. So... The reason why he chose that is at that point in time, that's where the, one of the ships that went one of the furthest were in that, you know, to, in the, the longest voyage was going to be over there. So that's what he decided he was going to go to that area. So he figured also, there's not Jew, there's no Jews in Tarshish. He's going to go and he's going to travel to Tarshish and he's going to be amongst a bunch of non-Jewish people. It's just, God's not going to bother him. God's not going to say, okay, now go back to Ninveh, the opposite direction and go and rebuke them. He figured that's where he's going to be safe. Okay. So he goes right away and he starts traveling to the boats. To the, to the seaport. He gets to the port, and you know, as he, as he, you know, you get the smell of the seagulls, and you get the smell of the salt water, and he walks in, as he, as he turns the corner, 
he looks at the, he gets, he's from a little hill, he looks at the, the entire port, looking to see a bunch of ships, everybody working back and forth, a bunch of lines of people waiting to go online in the boats. He comes over there, not a ship in sight. There's like nobody there, except for the people that are working there. He's like, you gotta be kidding me. He's like, what's going on over here? He goes down, he looks for the guy in, in charge, and he says, um, he says, where are all the ships? He's like, oh, there's none today. He says, uh, he says, I need to leave. So he says, you should have came yesterday. He says, but I'm here today. He says, where do you need to go? I need to go to Tarshish. He says, Tarshish, we just had a ship that left two days ago. So he says, when's the next ship leaving? He says, oh, when it comes back, I don't know, wait two months, three months, four months. So he says, he says, no, 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 I can't, I can't wait that long. I need to leave right now. So I don't know what to tell you. There's no ships over here. So as they're talking back and forth, they see a little white speck in the distance. And Yonah says, says, well, what's that? You know, I'm, this is my imagination, right? So, the, you know, the guy in the seaport takes out this huge little, little telescope and, you know, and it he looks out over there and says, what? It's a ship. He says, you're lucky, a ship's coming back over here. But then as he, as he, as he looks at it, the ship is going at such incredible speed. This is like a, you know, speedboat ship. They didn't have speedboats back then, but it was going at that, like, it was like just zooming through the entire place. He says, um, the guy in charge has, he's, he's like shocked. He's like, I've never seen a ship travel so fast before in my life. And it's coming like, like, right, right at them. And then he says, you know, he says, and he looks at the ship and he says, I'm not gonna believe it. This is the ship that went to Tarshish two days ago. It's back here already. He says, you must be some sort of something. He says, you want to go to Tarshish? The ship left two days ago. It's coming back for you. He says, I don't know. He says, well, we'll see when it comes back. The ship lands, like, it, like, it zooms back. It comes instantly. And, um, the captain, you know, throws a rope, does a whole, you know, I'm, I'm no sailor, I don't know, the rope majiggy, whatever it's called, tying it down. And he goes in, and he, and he, uh, the, the, the guy in charge of the port goes over and says, what happened? You left two days ago. The captain says, I don't know what to tell you. He says, we're traveling, everything is normal. The skies are blue, everything is great. All of a sudden, this like crazy wind just like took us right back here. He says, we, it was out of our control. So, um, he says, well, you know, sounds, you know, it's lucky for this guy. He says, I got another passenger for you for Tarshish. He says, excellent. So, uh, you know, they introduce each other. Says, Yona, this is, uh, you know, captain. Um, and, uh, so Yona goes to the captain and says, um, how soon can we leave? He says, listen, I just got back. He says, um, I don't know, a few days, you know, a week or so. He says, why you gotta wait so long? He says, you know, like, I'm back already. Might as well wait for more passengers. He says, but you already left. You just, you know, like why, you, you know, your, your things are gonna spoil. He says, you gotta go. He says, listen, he says, every, you know, Tarsh is a very long, you know, long journey. He says, every passenger is a lot of money. He says, I'm gonna wait. So Yona says, if you leave now, I'll give you a bonus. Can you, you know, money always talks. I'll give you a bonus. Let's go. So the captain starts laughing. A bonus is, you know, one passenger is, is worth so much to me. A bonus is gonna do nothing for me. So, you know, Yona is trying to convince him to leave now. The captain doesn't want to. He wants to stay. So Yona says, fine. You know what? I'll pay for the full, uh, how, how many people you have left? How many room you have left for the passengers? I'll pay for the whole thing. The captain, you know, money talks, opens his eyes, says, you're going to pay for the, all of these. He says, that's a crazy amount of money. He says, for that amount of money, you might as well just buy the ship. So Yona says, good idea. I'll buy the ship. How much for the ship? So he says, um, he thinks, and he says, um, 4,000 gold coins. It's a crazy sum. He was like, taking it back. And he's like, fine, you got a deal. Yona, when he saw the ship come back, he was thinking, he's like, listen, this is a sign from God that he's doing the right thing. Because look, God is sending him the ship right back, coming so instantly, so he could go and he could escape, so he doesn't have to give the, the, the Nebuah, the prophecy, to an innovate. So, he goes, and um, as, as they start, you know, arranging it, all of a sudden the captain says, listen, he says, um, he says why do you want to leave so fast? You know, something fishy over here. He says, are you a fugitive? He's like, no, I'm a traveler. Uh, and then he takes out the money and says, okay, no problem. You know, money talks. You just stop asking questions. All right, just come aboard. And um, even though, you know, we'll soon see like Hashem, he, even though 
Yonah had good intentions. And because he had good intentions, God didn't punish him for suppressing his prophecy. He actually punished him only for the disobedience that he had against God. So, you know, in, in essence, what was Yonah doing? Yonah was trying to run away from God. And the Mechotah, the Medrash Mechotah, and Pashat Bo brings down, it says like, you know, imagine a Kohen. A Kohen has a slave. And the slave was really upset at the Kohen and he wanted to run away. So where does he run? Into a cemetery. Because you know, a Kohen can't go into a cemetery. The Kohen says, you fool, I'll just send somebody else to get you and I'll bring you back over here and then I can deal with you when you come back over here. The same thing, you know, Yonah was trying to run away. He says, what, like God doesn't have any control over the, over the ocean? But we'll soon see why specifically when it. Obviously, it's a lot deeper than that. But, uh, um, you know, when the Mam Law says that you know why Yonah, Yonah wanted to buy, you wanted to leave so fast, he didn't want more travelers. He didn't want more travelers because he didn't want to carry a lot of people because he knew that this is a dangerous mission. And who knows what, he's running away from God. This, this is very dangerous. He says he doesn't want to put anybody at risk. And hence he was willing to pay for the entire, you know, for the entire ship so that they can leave immediately. Also, it also shows the, the way that it says over here. It says that after Yonah paid for the entire ship, he said that he went, uh, you know, he went with them. As, as, you know, as to show his humility. It wasn't like he was a big shot. I paid for your, this ship. This is, you go as somebody who flies, you know, in a private jet. This is my jet. You tell the, the, the captain what to do, when to do it. This is mine. I'm paying so much money for it. Yona, it was his private yacht right now. He did, he didn't say this is my yacht and you'll do exactly that as I say. No, he says, I'm gonna come with you. That's how that, to show his humility. So, the captain, you know, got the money ready to ship for departure. Uh, the ship, it also says that there was every, there was obviously a large ship, a lot of cargo in it. There were, um, every, every there was all the 70 languages that were spoken in the Medrashas was all spoken on that ship. Like you had sailors from Egypt, from Syria, yeah, from all over the world that were on this ship. So they start sailing. As they start sailing, they, um, suddenly there is a, uh, you know, a storm brewing. And there's like a big wind that's coming. And the, ca- the captain's like, he's like, are you serious? Is, did we just fall back into the same wind that we just ran away from? That we just came back flying from, you know, two days in a, in a few hours? So the sailor says, no, no, no. There's, it can't be. He says, this wind is going the other direction. So the captain says, I don't know what's going on with the seas today. He says, you know what? Tie everything down. Make sure everything's secure. And we'll try to, uh, to, to, to fight it out. But as they got more into the, into the storm... This, the clouds started getting darker and the rain started coming down like knives. It was like penetrating the wood. You know, you ever have been these snowstorms where you're sitting, you know, in your house, but you're like, you know, the thunder, first of all, shakes your floor and then it feels like it's going to break your windows. The, the, like this was a crazy storm. And there's nothing, you don't, there's nothing less secure than being on a boat in a, in a storm. Forget about it in a, this is a regular storm. I'm talking about like a supernatural storm. And after, besides the, besides the, the, you know, the storm, the wind, there was a great fog. You couldn't even see anything. And at this point, the, the, the captain says, let's try to get back to shore. Cause this is not, this is a, this is a crazy, this is a crazy storm. But, uh, as much as they tried to change the course, nothing was doing. And then the captain was looking out and, you know, he saw like the fog like cleared up in a certain area and he couldn't believe his eyes. He saw just like, a, you know, a short distance away. There were like ships sailing and fishing, like without any problem. It was like the storm was only by their ship. It was like, yeah, you ever see these cartoons where like, you know, there's a gray cloud about, you know, about you, usually signifying, you know, a guy in a bad mood or like everywhere he's walking, it's raining, but next door to him, it's like, you know, sunny and sunshine. It's like, that's how he felt. Like the entire ship was chaos in this crazy storm with waves going everywhere and destroying the ship. And like, you know, a few hundred feet away, you see like people just relaxing with the ships with, you know, uh, um, fishing. So he realized, um, you know, like this is this is something different about him over here. If 
first of all, the fish ship is not lasting that much longer. If the, you know, the wind is not going to break the ship apart, the water that's spilling into, from all the waves into the, into the boat is going to for sure sink it. So, realizing that this is a supernatural type of a, uh, you know, storm, he realized that when it's supernatural, who do you got to deal with? You got to deal with the gods. You got to go and you got to pray to the gods. So they went and he started uh, praying to, you know, their gods. And they had a whole bunch of gods. So they said, everybody, go to your places, get your gods, start praying for them. Let's try to make it happen. Take your gods of stone, gods of wood, just whatever you can and start praying. As much as they tried praying, you know, obviously there was nothing doing. They didn't uh, respond to anything. So then they started thinking, he says, you know what? He says, what's in it for the gods if, if they save us? He says, we, they won't know which, because we prayed to like 700 different gods. So he says, rather, he says, let's, you know, this is not working, let's try something else. Everybody pray to one god at a time. Every sailor goes up, says, well, this is my god, hi god, nice to meet you. You know, and everyone goes and they pray to this god. And the rule was, which, whichever god wins, whichever god calms the storm down, we're going to spread his name throughout the entire world, we're going to all pray to this god, so you basically, you know, make it worth it for the god. You know how to, you know how you deal with gods. So um, they went and they tried it, one by one. It didn't work, they chucked the idol into the ocean. Next one, didn't work, chucked the idol into the ocean. Until they finished all their idols, they were like, okay, there's nothing to it. It's still, it's still, you know, the ship is still, the storm is still here, the ship is almost breaking. And uh, they decided, you know what, start chucking the cargo in. At least let's make the place lighter. And they started, you know, throwing out the cargo into the ocean. It, it did help a little bit, but only for, for, you know, a few minutes until, you know, it went back up. So, they didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, the question came up. It's like, you know, where's Yona? Like, where's the, that passenger? It's like, why haven't we seen him? He's like, he's like, where's he going over here? So they went and they started searching for him. They said, maybe this guy. He says, everybody here got up and they said, who are they praying to? And they all prayed to that person. He says, we're missing the main passenger, the guy who paid for the entire boat. And they went and they started looking for him. Where was Yonah? So uh, it was interesting because um, Yonah, it says that, you know, you know I guess he, he was tired. And he went to the bottom of the boat and he got some shut eye. He went and he went to sleep. He went. The storm was raging. He went to go to, to sleep. It says he went to the bottom of the boat. He went to sleep. So the question is, what, what is he doing going to sleep? So there's a, a few commentaries on what happened. The Al Shulch says that he was actually he didn't ever travel before, so he was getting seasick. He went. You see, he laid down and he actually fell asleep. Another um, interpretation is that being that he was running away from God, he didn't want to pray because. Prayer, a high level of prayers, you can actually reach prophecy. He says, this is what he's running away from. He didn't want to do that. And besides that, he was also very ashamed. Well, he's going to pray to God for forgiveness now. He's running away from God. So God is, you know, he's like, okay, now help me please. So he didn't, he didn't, uh, um, he didn't pray. He actually, you know, accepted his, his, uh, judgment. In fact, the, it says that where did he go lay down? He went to the belly of the ship, right into the center in the, in the, in the lowest part. Why? He says, because if the ship, if he really needs to drown and this is really going to go, let him go first. If he dies first, then at least the rest of the ship will be saved. Doesn't have to take the whole ship down with him. So he's going to sleep on the bottom. Uh, a different reason he's, he, he thought, he says, he says, you know, sleep is a 160th of death. And if he's supposed to like drown, be under the water as in death, so, you know, the, the belly of the ship is under the water. If he's 160th of death and he's under the water, maybe that's going to fulfill the, the quota of what he requires to go and, um, and, and uh, be put to, to death. This is also, um, you know, we learned this in the, the Mamlos brings down also in the Gemara brings down, you know, there was Rav, there was once a woman who cursed Rav. He says uh, that your cheer should be overturned. What that means was that either he should die or he should lose his position. So what his colleagues did of, of Rav, they went quickly and they actually turned over his chair, like figuratively turned over his chair. Why? Because maybe this way it will be fulfilled already. The prophecy will be fulfilled.
So the same, the same point in time, Yonah was trying to do it. Maybe that there was a something that he was supposed to that's supposed to happen. Maybe it'll be fulfilled this way. This is also why the sailors they chuck the cargo because if the ship was supposed to go and go under, under the water and supposed to capsize, it says it maybe by the cargo going down, the, all the valuables of the ship it will count as if the ship already passed and they will be and they will be um, uh, saved. So the. So he's sleeping over there. The captain goes down there and he's like, Yona, wake up. No, he's like, Yona, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? He says, the ship is falling apart. Why are you, why are you not sleeping? So Yona gets up and the first question that he asks him, very interesting question. He asks him, the captain asks Yona, Yona, he says, um, where are you from and what do you do? And Yona's like, is this really the time for pleasantries? Like, are we really going to do this? He's like, right, well, you know. I made pharmaceutical rep, and uh, you know, for New York City, you know, like, what what is he doing right now? So, so the the captain says, "No, I want to know." He says, "Who is your god?" He says, "Maybe you're from a very special place. You have a powerful god, and if you're a powerful god, you know, you're going to be able to go, and you're going to be able to um, maybe pray to that to that god and save us." So he says, "You know, I'm an Ivli. I'm I'm a Jew." And he says, he says, wait a minute, he says, this is the same God, uh, and he says, we serve the Almighty, the one God. So he says, this is the same God that uh, did that whole uh, splitting of the sea thing? He's like, yep, same one, one and only. He says, the same God that destroyed all the Egyptians in the sea? He's like, yeah, same one, same one. He says, this is the, what are you doing? Go pray. This God obviously knows what he's doing in the sea. He says, pray for him. So he says, besides, you look like a holy, are you a holy man? He knows, like, are you a holy man? He says, like, you go someone who's dressed well, are you rich? <laughs> like oh, most people just probably say, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, loaded. But he says, "Are you a holy man?" He says, "No." Yonah says, "Oh, not at all. I'm a rebellious son. I'm running away from God." He says, "What do you mean?" He says, "He says, still, you're a son. You have a holy God. Go, go, pray for it." So meanwhile, they get back on deck, and the the captain, you know, sees. He says, "Listen," he says, "There's something going on over here. This is like we tried everything. This storm is raging. It must be that one of us did something against God, and that's why we're getting punished." We're going to have to find out who this person is and chuck him into the ocean. Like, get rid of him. And maybe if we get rid of him, we'll be able to go and we'll be able to uh, to, to survive. This is why the sailors, when they, when they actually, when the captain asked Yona, what is it, what do you do? He wanted to find out, did you maybe make a big sin? Maybe it's your fault that everything is going down. That's why he was asking him. So, the... Um, so being that they've tried everything, they realize this is beyond supernatural. This is, this is like a direct hit. This is like a, uh, this is like an aimed missile at them for a certain reason. Find the reason, get rid of the reason, and you'll be able to survive. That was the, that was the mathematical equation that they had to deal with. So they, um, they're going back and forth and they, Try to do whatever it is that they're trying to do. Nothing is working. Finally, they see Yona. He's already up there, and he says, "Hey, hey Yona, Yona, you prayed already." So, did you pray to your God? He says, "No, I didn't." It's like, "Huh?" So, something is fishy about this guy. He says, "Something, you know, he's coming over here. You know, something is is wrong over here." He, and the sailors started pointing out, "This is the guy that is at fault. We should chuck him overboard." So, the captain says, "No, no, no. we're very well respected." He says, "We don't, we don't just murder random people." He says, "We're going to do a lottery." We we'll make a lottery. Everyone, you know, like do the straws or whatever. Write your name on, on letters. You pick it out. Whoever's name gets picked out, that's the person that's going to. Uh, that's obviously that's uh, being punished by God. So now the sailors were nervous and be like, "What do you mean? Are you just leaving it the chance?" It's like, you know, should I buy this building or not? Let's flip a coin for it. I'm like, what are you doing? So what happens if it's going to fall on me? So the captain says, "No, no, no. we're going to do it a few times. We'll see how which one which one it gets." So they all, everybody on the ship writes their name, gives it to the captain, puts it in the nice, you know, captain, you know, hat, you know, takes it out over there, and he pulls out the first one. Comes out, Yona. Who's Yona? Yona raises his hand. He's like, okay. Puts the name back in. 
does it a second time. Who comes out again? Yonah. So they say to him, he says, uh, you know, the sailors start talking themselves. You know what? This is not a surprise. He says, did you see him come with any, uh, luggage? He says, he says, no, come to think about it, I did it. You know, he's like, he's like, how is he, you know, planning to go for like this huge long trip with nothing? He's just like walked on. It's like, you know, you're going on a, on, on a cruise for like, well, a cruise is not a good. If you're going on a ship, let's say, for like six months and you just walk on board, the first thing that people are thinking is like, this guy's a terrorist. You know, like, you know, this is one thing, you know, you go into like this, you go on a flight, right? And you're like, you know, someone comes in, looks terroristy. Right, uh, whatever it is that use your imagination, we're all thinking the same thing. Uh, but whatever it is, you know, you're coming in over there, and you know, I'm talking about like the bushy mustache, you know, clean unshaven, you know, sweating profusely, um, you know, constantly feeling his, uh, you know, his stomach, and uh, no luggage. He's like, "Where's no luggage? No need." <laughs> I believe in Allah. Everything okay. And so he gets, he, you know, he starts thinking like, "Okay, dude, what's going on over here?" You know. Random security check, <laughs> you know, come over here, you need a pat down. Um, so, the, but what happens? Why the sailors didn't ask any questions? Because when money, when you give money, money talks. No one asks questions. He paid, you know, 4,000 gold coins to get on the ship. They'd be like, oh, whatever, come in, first class, doesn't matter. You have the whole ship, it's yours. No questions asked. All of a sudden, problems happening. This is when the questions start happening. So, they ask him, he says, can you tell us what's going on over here? What did you do? Like, you know, this obviously pointed to you. So he says, you know, I made, I made a grave sin. So they were like, repent. They tell, they tell Yonah, they don't just tell Yonah, repent. And he says, listen, he says, it's not so easy to, you know, to repent. He says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running away from God. They're like, come again? He's like, no, 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 like, I'm running away. He says, why are you running away? So he says, God gave me a, uh, a prophecy. The prophecy was that I have to go to Nineveh and I have to go and tell them to go and repent. Uh, but I'm running away because if I tell them and they're going to repent, it's going to be very bad for the Jewish people and they'll be judged very harshly. So I, so I ran away. So they were like, how do you run away from God? Like, what do you mean, like, you run away from God? And he says, everyone pointed, like, this is the dude that's causing all this stuff. Let's chuck him overboard. So they, they decided, no, no, no. He says, we're not, we're, not, uh, we're not giving up that easily. Let's, uh, um, you know, they decided we're all going to repent. Everybody's doing chubal here. This. Everybody's repenting. Everybody's going, to re- going back. So they went and they started hunting down the entire bo- the ship for any remaining idols that was left in the cracks. They chucked all this overboard. Then they all started repenting for, for God and, you know, so they're like, you know, after repenting, the, you know, Captain looks at Yonah and be like, check it out. You know, I just caused all my entire ship to repent. What do you think about that? So he says, we're going to be saved now. So um, Yonah's like, he says, uh, you know, probably not, I don't know. You know, like, he says, he says, he says I think you're mistaken, Yonah tells him. He says, do you think that I ran away because I was afraid or confused? He says, I ran away because I care about my Jewish brothers and sisters and I don't want to cause them any harm. So that's why I went, I couldn't care less if I die. Because I couldn't care less. So uh, the captain says, um, but I could care less if I die and I care less if my sailors die and I care less if anybody in this crew dies. So he says, uh, so Yonah says, you know, you're right. So he says, uh, my death will really end this. Throw me overboard. So uh, the captain says, uh, listen, we're honorable seamen. Uh, we just don't throw people overboard. The Chavo, jump. You know, go ahead. So he says, no, I can't jump. That's suicide. He says, I don't commit suicide. You're not allowed to commit suicide. By the way, you know, incidentally, you know, like, there was once a guy who was by the bridge. Uh, he was going to jump. He was, that's it. He had enough. And a rabbi was walking past by him. And he sees this guy. He's one of, you know, he knew him. He says, he says, uh, you know, you think it's going to be better on the other side? He says, you can't run away from your problems. You su- you can't, you can never run away from your problems. People think, okay, if I end it all... Then I'm gonna have, you know, kindness, peace, finally, alas. You don't run away from your problems. You're not dealing with it over here, you're dealing with it over there. And over there, it's gonna be a lot more difficult to deal with than over here. So, he says, uh, so Yonah says, I'm not jumping. They said, we're not throwing you over. So he says, listen, he says, uh, Yonah says, 
I have an idea. He says, well, you can do something like this. He says, um, think about it this way. You're destroying one life, mine, by saving many. That, you know, that's a really, that's a good thing. He says, that's, you know, you're really saving it. He's convincing him. Come on, throw me overboard. He says, uh, he wasn't talking to him. He's like, it wasn't, it wasn't like a gangster fight. Do it. You know, you know, gangster fight. Yeah, hands down, face exposed. Let's go. You want to go outside? We are outside. Well, I'll take you outside. I'll take you to school. Whatever. I don't know the slang. Whatever it is. You know, it wasn't like Yoda was like edging, edging him out. Come on. Don't be a wuss. Throw me overboard. No, let's do it. Come on. He was actually saying, like, no, if you think about it, if you think about it, it actually makes sense because you destroy what you kill one person to save many. This is, by the way, we're going a little uh, five minutes. Early. It's okay. We have the, the fine. <laughs> okay. So the um, you know the, the question is asked. It, this is actually a, an the question. Can you kill one person to save many? This is actually a question, and we'll see how it comes in. Won't go. I, I will go touching it very briefly because I want to finish up. Uh, I want to speak more about Yona. But this is a, listen, listen to this thing. So there's actually in Shmuel Bet. In the twentieth chapter, it speaks about Sheva ben Bichi, who made a revolt against King David, and Yoav, which was David's general, was chasing after Sheva, who was made the revolt to try to go and and basically you know kill him, you know, which is what he was the punishment that he was supposed to be getting, and he ran. The Sheva ran into this in this into the city, and he barricaded himself in there. So Yoav went and he laid siege to the entire city. To get them out. Meanwhile, a woman calls over to the office and says, what are you doing? And he says, uh, why are you laying siege to our city? So he says, I don't care about your city. Your city could stay. I only need Yoav. I, I'm sorry, I only need Sheva. So the, the woman went and, and gave an order. It says, kill Sheva and throw his head overboard to the other thing. And they went and they killed him. And they threw him and they threw the head overboard to um, to to Yoav. So Tosefta learns from this that says that here, if uh, you know Gentiles come over and they say, give us one of you, give us this specific person, specific person, and if now we're killing all of you, you're allowed to give over this person. That's uh, the halacha. You're allowed to, uh, you know, hand them over. So, by the way, this is only if you do a specific one. If you say in general, it can't. He was chayav mita anyways, yeah. Yeah, he was chayav mita anyways. But Can you learn from that case? That's what the Tosefta, the Tosefta brings down. But it actually, when you look at practical cases, it's very difficult in these cases. I'll, I'll give you some examples. Um, and a lot of the poskim, you know, they they go back and forth on this. I'll give you an example. For example, uh, this is um, the, the Tzitz Eliezel. He brings down like this. Say, say someone's driving down the street and he's pushing on his brakes. The brakes are shot. And he's going 100 miles per hour and he has two options. Either to rear, you know, go off, off road. There's, there's going to be people there, but he's, he's going to end up hurting, injuring, or even killing less people than if he goes straight. Should he veer off, kill less people to save more? That's the question that is asked there. The question is also asked, it comes in, in Israel. This is a very common question. A grenade gets thrown. The soldiers come and they pick up the grenade. You have like a few seconds to throw it back or whatever it is. But the question is, the other, so a group of, a grenade throws to a group of soldiers. One of them picks him up and he sees he's able to throw it to a different place, but there's also going to be people there, but it's going to be less people than they are over here. Is he allowed to go and throw the grenade to kill other Jews? But to save a larger in number. The Tzitz Eliezer actually, you know, says in regards to the, the breaks, he says that it's better to remain passive than to actively kill somebody. Remain passive and let, you know, you know, it's in, it's in God's hand. But this, like, it, it goes even more. In the Holocaust, this was a very, unfortunate, very common question. You're hiding. There's a baby. And the Nazis are coming. And the baby starts crying. If the Nazis find you, they're killing everybody. Are you allowed to go and kill the baby to save everybody else? 
So Rabbi Shimon Efrati actually ruled it, says that it is permitted. It is permitted to save that together. But he said at the same point in time, he says he sees the, the idea of also not killing the baby. He says it's, it's also not. These are very, very difficult questions, which obviously come into, um, you know, come into effect. It, the, and this goes, the, you know, in even more. You have, um, you know, this was actually brought to the Mishnah, uh, Mishnah in Nefesh, it brings down this. It says that the, there was a soldier in the front, the Israeli soldier was standing in the front lines. He was shot, there was a missile, a bullet, whatever it was. He saw, he saw the guy aiming coming, he ducks. The guy behind him gets hit. So the question is, does he have to do tshuva? Because the guy, if he would have been it, the guy wouldn't have died because he ducked it. So he says it's, it's pashut that he, you don't have to do tshuva for that, uh, because you were just saving himself. That thing was a byproduct. There was many, there was many differences of what it goes on over here. They ask, uh, Reb Chaim Kanievsky, Say, let's say there is um, there's a there's terrorists that hijack a plane, and they're going to go and they're going to crash into a building. Are you allowed to go and shoot down the plane to save all those uh, you know to save all those people? And I want to try to find it over here. And he's and says we're in doubt concerning such a question. It's a very difficult question to to, to answer these type of things. So, <clears throat> anyways, the going back to Yonah because it's getting late. So I want to uh, finish this uh, this idea over here. It's, it's very difficult questions because we could go. I could go both ways. I can tell you because in one aspect you're saving people over here, but another aspect you're actively murdering people. So it, you know it, which way you look at it. If you're if you look at it in the aspect of saving people, you're not you're supposed to save people. And if the byproduct is murdering is the death of other people, then it's just a byproduct. But the main focus is is, is the actual saving of the people that are landed. But at the same point in time, you're actively murdering somebody else. So it's a very difficult uh, question. I have to I have to look into it more to actually go into do it. But it's interesting that when I was reading this on Yonah, this actually came to my mind. And this is actually a very interesting question that that comes up a lot. A terrorist comes into a, a mall. Can you shoot it? Shoot the terrorist, but you know that it will detonate before it gets into the mall, and less people will die as opposed to if you you know. There's so many questions and so many criteria that have to go into it. The basic idea from what, from the little little learning that I did on it. Is it, it really depends on on what's the active and what's the passive. If you're actively killing somebody, or you or you or it's just a passive act as opposed to you're passively saving somebody. So very very uh, difficult questions, but at the same point in time, very interesting at the same uh, you know aspect. Okay, so um, okay, going back. So so Yonah gave a. I don't think he went through all these you know questions that he brought all the stuff down. This um, he he goes and he says, listen, <coughs> kill one person to save many, and he says. You can even test it. You could test it to see if it's going to work. How are you going to test it? He says, lower me and see when my feet or my body touches the water, see what happens to the ocean. So they tried that. So they, they all held him very tightly. They, they didn't want to kill him. They didn't want to send him over. They lowered him that when his feet touched the ocean, all of a sudden the storm instantly lost its like fierceness. And they brought him back up and the storm started again. So they tried it again. They, this time they brought him down to his waist. They brought him down to his waist. Then the, the storm went down even less than it was before. They took him back out. It was like started over again. And then they put him down to, they put the water down to his neck and the storm almost disappeared. It was all quiet. They took him out again. This is already a chazakah. This is three times. They took him out again. They were, um, you know, it was, it was all, you know, back and forth. So they didn't know, like at the same point in time, they were trying to not rationalize. Should we, cause they're killing somebody by throwing him over. Throwing somebody over in, in the ocean can be like, try swimming to shore. You know, it doesn't work that way. It's death. So he, you know, they they, uh, they they start thinking about. It. Listen, he confessed that he sinned. We cast lots to see if it was his fault. 
It was his fault. Uh, he came up. He, you know, we actually tried to put him in. It, all signs are pointing that we should throw him over. But they still, they, they still tried to do too bad. They still tried. They saw nothing was doing it. And they decided that they're going to throw him over. But how do they do it? Yonah told him, he said, listen, he says, you guys don't want to commit murder. All of you hold on to me together and let go at the same point of time. And then, you know, this way, not one of you is, is held liable for that full aspect of, of murder. So they decided that's what they are going to uh, do. They went, they lowered him in, and they let him go. The second they let him go, he was sucked in by this whirlpool. And he took, like, this crazy, crazy whirlpool. They were completely fine. They were like, they stood over there, the ocean, the, and they saw this. They, they were, and it says that, the Midrashim say that afterwards, these sailors all eventually ended up returning to Al-Tishchel. They ended up converting, and they ended up spreading this, this story throughout the entire, they saw what God of Israel could do. And what they, and be, this wasn't, this wasn't the whole thing. We'll, we'll see this Al-Tishchel next week. They saw him go into the fish. Like a huge, a monstrosity of a fish comes up, opens his mouth, and Yonah just literally walks, he realized, Yonah realized, that we're going to speak about this, you know, next week, Bizarre Hashem, um, next class. He, he steps over the mouth, he goes into the, into the tongue, and they see that they, the fish closes his mouth and they swim down. And this is what they, this is how, what the sailors see. The sailors ended up, uh, doing a chuva from this. Bizarre Hashem will continue, uh, next, uh, shield. Any questions? No questions? Hazakabal! You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.